I was getting ready to go to work. It was quite early in the morning and I had just come out of the shower. And the best way I can describe it is that one moment everything was fine and the next moment my head just wanted to be on the floor and I couldn't get it back up. I started vomiting and I knew something was very badly wrong. And I was at home by myself, by the way, but I was very, very lucky in that I had enough of my wits about me and enough brain function to crawl to my mobile phone and dial 999 and communicate that something was very badly wrong. There was two effects with the stroke. The main one is that I lost the use of my legs. So I was, I knew I had power in them, but I couldn't get my mind to move them. So that was the first thing. And then the other piece, which is common to all stroke patients, is that, of course, we were unsure what kind of brain effects there might might be in terms of lasting damage. So I, whilst I was in the hospital, I had physio to help me to start on the path to relearning how to walk again. By the time that I came home, I could walk unaided a few meters and within a week or two, I think, I think from memory, maybe seven to 14 days, I could go outside and probably a couple of weeks after that, I could feel confident going outside by myself. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. If you suffer a stroke, the chances of you experiencing another one are greatly increased. But there are lots of things survivors can do to reduce the risk, and they include eating a healthy and balanced diet, taking regular exercise, and limiting smoking and alcohol. In this episode, we hear from Neeraj Shah from London, who suffered a stroke at the age of 30. I can remember quite vividly, I was getting ready to go to work. It was quite early in the morning and I had just come out of the shower. And the best way I can describe it is that one moment everything was fine. And the next moment, my head just wanted to be on the floor and I couldn't get it back up. Quite soon after that, I started vomiting and I knew something was very badly wrong. And I was at home by myself, by the way, but I was very, very lucky in that I had enough of my wits about me and enough brain function to crawl to my mobile phone and dial 999 and communicate that something was very badly wrong. The ambulance came very quickly. It was 7am and they came very quickly, took me to hospital and they initially stabilized me first with drugs. And then I think the first set of doctors said, it's probably a very nasty ear infection. It knocks out your balance system. You'll probably be fine in a couple of days. We don't want to alarm you. And at the same time, I wasn't thinking about it at that point, but they were also taking MRIs and that sort of thing. And it was only the next day that a doctor came to me and said, actually, what happened to you is a bit worse than what we may have thought. I was very lucky in that they didn't need to operate, but they kept me in for a couple of weeks because they wanted to run tests, they wanted to observe, and they just wanted to see what was going on. There was two effects with the stroke. The main one is that I lost the use of my legs. So I was, I knew I had power in them, but I couldn't get my mind to move them. So that was the first thing. And then the other piece, which is common to all stroke patients, is that, of course, we were unsure 
what kind of brain effects there might might be in terms of lasting damage. So I, whilst I was in the hospital, I had physio to help me to start on the path to relearning how to walk again. There were a number of different physical and emotional support services available to Neeraj once he left hospital. They offered it to me and all of the support was there. But by the time that I came home, I could walk unaided a few meters. And within a week or two, I think, I think from memory, maybe seven to 14 days, I could go outside. And probably a couple of weeks after that, I could feel confident going outside by myself. So I was offered the physiotherapy, but I didn't take it because I didn't feel that I needed it. And during this time, of course, I had kept my cognition and I started voraciously reading about what had happened. And I just started feeling confident that I was going to be okay. Also tying in with what my neurologist had told me at hospital. They gave me some leaflets and I think these things were available, but similarly to the physical side, I just didn't really feel like I wanted it. I think one of the really important things going on with me is that my neurologist had told me that there was a good chance I was going to make a full recovery or near full recovery, which is where I'm at. And I took that at face value. And for me, it's a slightly unconventional route, but I just wanted to really understand what happened and start thinking about my own mindset and my own mentality and just following the instructions I was given. And because of those things, I just didn't feel One, I didn't feel like I needed to take up those services so they could be free for somebody else who might need it more. And secondly, I this might sound a little bit unconventional, but I was determined in my own mind not to start thinking of myself as a stroke patient, but rather as someone who's going to lead a full and normal life. And I think that was quite important to me. Doctors couldn't find a clear cause for Neeraj's stroke. At the time, this was just over 10 years ago, and it was less common then than it is now. Very uncommon for this type of stroke, a cerebellar infarct in a 30-year-old, otherwise fit and healthy with no family history and no compromising medical conditions. So they actually did lots and lots of tests. I was very lucky. I was taken to St. Mary's in Paddington just by pure chance. They have a fantastic stroke unit. And I think they were actually very, very curious about what happened to me, especially because I'd managed to keep my cognition and I could describe things. So they never found a cause. And in the end, I was told to treat it a bit like a freak accident, which is how I've thought a bit ever since. And very luckily, 10 years on, I've never had a recurrence. So I think if there's a theme here, it's that I knew at the time, and I definitely know since just how incredibly fortunate I've been. For the next at least five, if not more years, I don't think a day went by where I didn't think about why, you know, what could have caused this, because of course, there is a root cause, but but it was just never found. So That was one of the things which set me on this path of becoming obsessive about health and well-being, about trying to minimize a chance, because I knew what the statistics looked like for a recurrence in the first 12 and first 24 months. And I also became quite obsessive about learning about brain function as well, because my thought was, I need, we don't know why it happened. So I need to minimize the chance of this sort of thing happening again. And in in a way, I'm really glad that it worked out that way because that set me on a path where I thankfully can enjoy really, you know, really good health and well-being through a combination of luck and doing a lot of the things that 
if I hadn't had a stroke at 30, maybe I wouldn't have incorporated it in my life. The irony is that about a year before this happened, when I was 29, I had started cleaning up my lifestyle, stopped drinking so much, started exercising more. And that was just normal late 20s stuff when you can stop getting away with the kind of things that you were getting away with before. And that was the catalyst for that. And what this did is it it took that and it put it into really sharp focus. So my neurologist, again, very smart individual said, I don't want you listing weights until you've or anything like that until doing anything with high intensity until you've made recovery. What I do want you to do is to get lots of sleep and sleep every afternoon that you're able to, um, which was un- unbelievably good advice. It's only in the last two or three years that I think we're really realizing how important a function sleep is from a recovery and brain function point of view. And the other thing he said is from a physical point of view, I only want you to either swim or do yoga. And I didn't have a swimming pool that I could get to easily living in the middle of London. So I started taking up yoga and that became a really good habit, something I was doing three or four times a week. So it was those two things, sleep, yoga, um, and then of course, there's lots of mental benefits to yoga as well, which led me to meditation. And then just in terms of what I was eating, just starting to really increase my intake of uh, vegetables and the green leafy veg and cutting down my sugar. And I don't think I drank any alcohol for a good long while after the stroke, but those sorts of things. So all the things that I suppose we know we should do. Neeraj was young when he suffered his stroke. He was fit and healthy and didn't have any prior conditions. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Neeraj on staying positive about life after stroke. I've been incredibly lucky because I haven't had a recurrence and because what happened to me hasn't stopped me doing from 95% of what I was doing before. So in that sense, I've been incredibly lucky. And as a result, it's actually all been positive and the importance of family. Just knowing that there's people who I can trust who are interpreting interpreting this care and just making me feel supported and rooting for my recovery, if you like, that, that made a massive difference. Let's hear how, for Neeraj, stroke caused a complete change in career. I was working in a career which I'd stopped enjoying and I had started figuring out how I might leave that job and start my own business, which is something that I'd really aspired to. And I'd already set a deadline of when I was going to resign. And a few months into that process, this happened. So it actually took me out of the firing line and it gave me all the time and space that I'd been praying for. And I had to be at home for a number of months before I was due to go back to work because my physical recovery period was something like six months. It was about roughly six months before I stopped feeling like a broken battery and got my energy back and got got some consistency around those sort of things and got back into proper exercise as opposed to just being able to walk. So I very thankfully was able to decide not to go back to work. And I used this as a way to change my career completely. Um, I started working in a different industry whilst working on my own business ideas in the in my spare time. And that eventually led to me starting my first business about 18 months after that. I've been incredibly lucky because I haven't had a recurrence and because what happened to me hasn't stopped me doing from 95% of what I was doing before. So in that sense, I've been incredibly lucky. And as a result, 
it's actually all been positive. Um, and I, again, I say this knowing that lots of folks who have strokes are probably listening to this conversation. And I think, yes, there is luck involved in that, but also I think having this kind of mindset of where can I find something good from this and what can I change and how can I make my life better? I think, I think they all go hand in hand. I'm married. I was married at the time. I'm still married to the same person. I've got an incredibly supportive wife who basically understood what was going on. And she is in the pharmaceutical industry. So she, she was somewhat aware of what these kind of things are. And my brother and sister-in-law are actually medical doctors. So even on day one, when this happened to me, before I knew what had happened, he was on the phone talking to me. And from day two, he was on the phone talking to my doctors. And I think actually, this is where I've been so blessed because not everybody has that kind of support. And just knowing that there's people who I can trust, who are interpreting, interpreting this care and just making me feel supported and rooting for my recovery, if you like, that, that made a massive difference. Uh, and I think in terms of my friends and friend circle, obviously mostly within a couple of years of my age, uh, you know, a couple of years up or down from 30, I think it was a big wake up call to a lot of them around, you know, some of their habits as well. So I think e even as a group, it's really benefited us. Although Neeruj has recovered well, Stroke continues to be a major part of his everyday life. I think about it almost every day, but that's because the work I'm doing now is so intertwined with, if, if that hadn't happened to me, I'm not sure I'd be on this path now because what happened is I set up that first business. I wanted to do something in health or tech, health and technology. That was before I'd had a stroke. These were areas that really interested me. And basically I got after the stroke, I tried to do that, got nowhere with it, and um, out of desperation, turned to property as as an alternative sector to go into. That business worked. And what happened is a few years later, I'd done enough in that business to set my sights back on health and well-being and technology. So today, the business that I run today is basically a mental well-being platform. It's a technology platform where we help hundreds of people around the world with their mental health and mental fitness through tools like meditation and through our relationship with technology, very research-led and so on. But I think as, as a result of what happened to me, my own story and how these things came to be a part of my life is so central to that business and that movement that actually not many days go by where I don't think about it. And also, if it sounds like I'm very comfortable talking about it, it's because I get asked about this a lot. I get interviewed a lot. But until five years ago, I I couldn't talk to anyone about this because it was such a uh, destabilizing incident in my life, if you like. And I, I actually felt fearful to even tell people that this had happened to me. So it, it's, I'm fluent about it now, but that's after five years of talking about it very publicly. My starting point was to understand what had happened to me. So I started looking at the brain function and the neuroscience behind it and understanding. Because when, when I got told I'd had a stroke, I didn't even know what a stroke was. I just knew that it happened to much older people. So I had to learn about that. And whilst I was doing that, and, I, and even before that, I'd always been a student of, you know, mindset and those kind of things, these softer factors that actually make such a big difference in our life. So I think what it did, it helped me connect 
the way we think and the way we see the world with the way that our brain processes it and the physiological effects of those things. And that's a lot of what I'm tying up together in the work that I'm doing now. So yeah, it made me much more aware that I have a brain and that it has some functions and those functions can be disrupted, but also there's a number of different ways to use those functions in in a way that benefits us much in a way that I guess if somebody starts learning about exercise, then they start realizing that we can use our bodies much more efficiently, whether it's from a strength, flexibility, stamina, whatever it is. But those things are very true of the mind as well, if we figure out how, how that can work. I think I was on this path in terms of wanting to start my own business, wanting to do something in health, wanting to do something along these lines. But I think the stroke incident really threw it into sharp focus. So what I'd say is a lot of the lessons, because of course you and I are talking during the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of the things I'm hearing now about how you know we should live for now and how the world can be turned upside down and how we should, you know, how it's more beneficial to focus on what the here and now rather than worry about the future or, or fret about the past. These are all things that I felt I learned 10 years ago because of what happened to me. I, I learned about the fragility of life. And I think when you learn about the fragility of life, then you become automatically very grateful and very seizing of opportunities and very much of the mindset that you want to make the most. Because I now know that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. This evening isn't guaranteed. Like Anything can happen because it did. So I'd, I'd say it's sharpened my focus in terms of just wanting to make the most of whatever's in front of me. The things I'm grateful for when I wake up in the morning, when my feet hit the ground after I get out of bed, I'm grateful that I can walk because that was almost taken away from me. I'm grateful that I can think because that was almost taken away from me. So I think for me, me those are the basics, but I, I a big motivator was I was a snowboarder before this happened and it was to get back on a snowboard and I got back on a snowboard within 12 months. So that was a motivator and it's a big part of my life now. So I think when things die down with the pandemic, I'd love to get back on a snowboard. It's a huge feature of my life. And then from a professional point of view, I think we've got this movement now that I started a couple of years ago and we've helped thousands of people around the world. And I think I want to continue to make that impact on thousands and thousands of people and make good money doing that as well. So I, th I think it would be those things. And I would love to stay alive for the next 30 or 40 years and just see how the future unfolds because technology is something else I follow. It's a big part of my work. So I'm just really curious and excited about the way technology is changing the world and where we might be in 30 or 40 years when we think about how far we've come in the last 20. And Neeraj gives his advice to stroke survivors and their loved ones. So for a stroke survivor, I think education is power. So I think it's really important when you're able to, to start understanding what happened and how these things happen. And more importantly, what you can do to try and mitigate or lower the chances of these things happening again, because all of the things you can do to mitigate these things are all things that can make your life better. Uh, whether it's your nutrition or sleep or exercise or your um, mental health or wh whatever it is. So that's the, the first thing. We, we have a lot more power over these things than we originally think about. And then for a loved one, this is a tricky one because I, I've not really been the loved one of a stroke survivor, but I'm a stroke survivor who's had a lot of amazing loved ones. I think it's 
letting people know that they have your unconditional support and really being there for them and you know taking a bit of time to really try and understand what happened and being patient but also once you're educated then you can help somebody with their recovery in a way that a good friend does as opposed to just saying what somebody wants to hear. Neeraj has made a full recovery after his stroke and although it's changed his life in many ways he continues to be an incredibly positive character. Coming up on the next episode of Stroke Stories. I'd flown back from a Christmas in Sweden. My first day of work for the year, I actually had to call in sick because I started getting kind of like a cold. And then the second day I was due to go back to work, I was getting ready for work and I was straightening my hair and my whole right arm from probably my shoulder down to my hand just completely collapsed and went dead. Remember, please subscribe to our podcast and rate and comment on the episodes to help us spread the word. And if you are, or you know somebody who is a stroke survivor and there's a story you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.